0: and welcome back the Faculty of Horror podcasting from the horrid and socially distanced halls of academia. I'm Alex West with Andrea Subasati and we are here for some extra content because we are all self-isolating or trying to as best we can Mm -hmm. and I've certainly been watching a lot of stuff so we wanted to jump onto the main feed here and talk about some of the newer releases that are out there that you might be curious about maybe you've seen maybe you haven't seen and give some thoughts to them and then we'll also be doing some additional content on our Patreon feed. So if you aren't a patron and you want to check it out, uh, the second half of this piece will be released at the $2 level. So uh, if you're super curious, it's kind of a, an, an easy level to get in on and there's some fun content on there. So yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been a really interesting time because I certainly felt like I have had a bit more time to engage and watch content. And some of the times, by the time I get home from work, by the time I do all my own shit, I'm not mentally prepared to watch a new film. But with the kind of still being busy at work, but having, you know, 15 second commute, uh, I have a bit more time in the evening. So I've been able to watch some newer stuff. So we thought this would be a fun little thing to jump in with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh- uh, for my part, when Alex proposed this, I was like, we should definitely do a, a fact flash for the main feed. But I felt like I hadn't seen anything new because I have been so crazy busy with roomorg Like, everything roomorg has been no, ramped up to 11 because, you know, uh, we're still open, we're still yeah, operational, and we are providing yes, like, you know, maybe not an essential service, but uh, I consider it pretty essential to have some well, distraction, to have some entertainment, to have stuff like that. And, like, we're running a couple of contests we're running like a social media challenge with Room Org. that's really fun and I'm keeping on top of that and obviously I don't have staff coming into the office so I'm kind of pulling double duty. However, I have been watching movies for the new issue so I have a list here and I have them listed in order of my excitement and my liking. I don't know if you stratified your list.
0: Oh, I kind of did them in order-ish that I watched them in. Okay. Because that was the easiest way for me to kind of break it down. So okay. um, why don't I kick off with one that I know you've seen, Uh huh. I watched it when it was very quickly released on uh, VOD, post its supposed almost release in theaters, and that was The Hunt. That was the last one that I saw in a cinema before lockdown.
1: Yeah. It was a press screening, like, the, the week prior. You know, had I known that that would be the last movie I saw in the theater, I might have chosen something else, but I really didn't hate it.
0: No, I didn't hate it either. I felt a bit like the politics were a little secondary to it even though yeah. that's kind of what it was hanging its hat on. It was just a really interesting take on a kind of contemporary, the most dangerous game, you know, the short story that yes. the most dangerous game is man. And I thought there were some really great performances in it. It was a nice tight film. You know, there are definitely worse ways to pass your evening. Uh, and I really enjoyed seeing Hillary Swank just playing um, a kind of insufferable liberal elite, which was kind of fun because oh my, they no. exist. That's right. And I loved the
1: opportunity to laugh at the left the way I did. If you've seen the film, that couple running the, the truck stop convenience store, I was roaring. I thought the action sequences were great. The fight choreography were great. The gore was stunning and fantastic. And I think the uh, the hype kind of did it wrong. I walked into that expecting to have some
0: problems and I was like, what's that? It's no big deal. Yeah. It's a much easier and fun watch than I had been anticipating and that I think I was led to believe. But fair, you're going to sell your film however you need to sell it but I don't know if it's worth a $20 rental fee that I pay but I'm not angry at it and I definitely had fun watching it so good time was had by all. What is happening? What is all of this?
1: Did you see that article? Every year these liberal elites kidnap a bunch of normal folks like us and hunt us for sport. What kind of sick people would even think of something like that? White people. We're the worst. I'll start with the top of my list and this again was a film that I had seen the trailer and I was really interested in it and I watched it for the magazine in the hopes that you know obviously a lot of new releases are being pushed back and so my pool of um, films to choose from for features for the July August issue was abbreviated by all this but Vivarium blew me away. I loved it. I didn't consider it quite horror enough for a big feature, but I gave it a glowing review in the magazine, and I did have the chance to interview the filmmaker, and it was a really fascinating interview. He had a lot to say. He's an Irish filmmaker, and you've seen it. Should we talk about what it's about?
0: Yeah, yeah, let's talk about it. I saw it based on your recommendation, and I definitely really, really enjoyed it. It's, it's a definitely more confounding, difficult watch than something like The Hunt, uh, but absolutely worth people's time.
1: So it's kind of like a dystopian sci-fi film. It takes place uh, in undisclosed Europe in the present. And it's a young couple who are looking for their first home. And so what they do is they go into one of those, you know, real estate offices where you walk in and then they tell you what's available. And uh, so they walk into this place and the guy behind the counter, who is a very strange eccentric man, says, you know, come with me and we're going to check out this community where everything is perfect and you're going to love it. And he shows it to them and they're like, "Okay, this is really sterile suburbia, but The agent abandons them in this environment and they can't escape. No matter what they do, they keep coming back to this door. And so they're kind of trapped in this environment. And then all of a sudden, to make matters worse, they get a special delivery from the proverbial stork. They get an infant dropped off in a box to them with a message saying, raise this child and you can go free. And I already think that's a really interesting setup, but the way they resent this child and the way they come to resent each other and the way they resent this isolation and the dynamic it's really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a film that for me kind of played into a kind of existential dread. And I think it did a really interesting job of playing against type because oftentimes in films, you'll see a resolution come about from, you know, a couple getting married and having a child. And that's the happy ending. And this kind of problematizes that entire ending, which I think is so interesting and unique. Yeah, the implication
1: is that, like, we're kind of hurtling toward this future that we may or may not have agreed to to and or signed up for was what I got out of it. And yet when Mm -hmm. I interviewed the filmmaker, he was talking about um, kind of a housing crisis that was happening in Ireland at the time where suburban sprawl was happening at a rate that was not sustainable. And so there were entire neighborhoods of brand new homes, sparkling clean, ready for young couples to come settle down and start families. And it didn't happen. And so these neighborhoods just kind of were vacant. They were like ghost towns, which I thought was so interesting that I was able to impose so much on it. From my situation, which is the furthest thing from suburban Ireland. <laughs> so definitely check that out. Yeah.
0: Um it gave my partner a fair amount of existential dread. Um and I think kind of played into something that, you know, with his friends who, you know, I now consider my friends, you know, they've got a nice little house in this, you know, suburban development. And they kind of in a very nice way think we're a bit crazy for living in the city in a you know apartment and doing all this stuff, and we think they're a little crazy for, you know, being out in the suburbs and not around anything. But it's just it kind of shows that discrepancy of reality and perception that I think is really interesting and it does it in a really I think actually really satisfying way um it doesn't overextend too much it plays a really tight game and I I absolutely agree I think it's a really fascinating film and I highly recommend Vivarium so check that out Mm -hmm. all we wanted was a home Home. The second one I had, I don't think you've seen Andrea. What? And this was again on my $20 rental night where okay. I was feeling real thrifty. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> but it was The Invisible Man. I have not. With Elizabeth Moss, mm-hmm. uh written directed by Lee Wanell. I enjoyed it. I think it tackles a really tough subject of partner abuse oh. in a metaphorical way, but also a very real way. And they utilize the trope of the invisible man, I think, very well. It's It's a very, like, in some ways, on-the-nose feminist film. Okay. And again, I encourage everyone to see it. If if you're interested, if you have access to it, check it out, um, because it is worth your time. I do find it very interesting that it's a Blumhouse film, and, you know, they did get out, as they always want to tell you. Uh, Fair enough. I would, too. But that they also had a couple months prior, so if Invisible Man came out in February. The Black Christmas remake came out in December, Mm -hmm. and that one felt so rushed. Like, the Black this 2019 it just it's not unwatchable it just didn't hang together for me mm. and it was you know female filmmakers you know female director female writer and it just felt like it didn't have that support whereas the invisible man you know written directed by a man oh god what am i saying now but uh it, it felt like it had a lot more support budget all of that kind of stuff to tell a very important story a very important story about abuse and how it traumatizes someone and can affect them and ptsd and all of that it's There's a lot of really important things, but I find that discrepancy. um, I've been having a hard time wrapping my head around that. I mean, I think
1: you are, but you're not. You know?
0: Yeah, I know. I'm dancing around the shit that
1: I'm saying. We have friends at Blumhouse and we don't want to throw stones, but I think it's a pretty glaring discrepancy. I I haven't seen it, Uh, but I I think it is also worth mentioning that, you know, yes, The Invisible Man came out in February and The Hunt was scheduled to come out in March. And then all of this went down. So these are $20 rentals and that's because these are pretty much first run movies that weren't intended to be available at home quite just yet. So personally, I forgive that price tag because I think they're giving access. They were expecting box offices and oh, yeah. you know, now they're just yeah, getting yeah. these VOD
0: returns. No, I think I think the price point isn't, um, I mean, for me right now, because I'm you know still working, it's not an issue for me. Um, I just, I, I find that kind of timing, the proximity to each other. A little interesting. I'm sure there are rights involved. I'm sure there's all kinds of things. Sure. But for 20 bucks, for me and my partner to go see it, we made our own popcorn. It was, you know, going to be less than 20 bucks. So. Like a night out. It's a night out. Not even. And I would encourage people to see it if you're interested. I think it was good for myself. I didn't go see it in theaters on purpose while, you know, we were still able to move through the world. I just because the subject matter just felt really intense to me and I wanted to see it. So I'm glad I got a chance to see it at home. It didn't trigger me as much as I thought, but I thought it was a very well done, well made film and I recommend it. Cool. Andrea, I hope you get a chance to see that and the Black Christmas remake because a soup's want to know your thought. A soup. I know. I got to get all caught I, up. I will. You where are you? Show yourself. Surprise.
1: Ooh. Next on my list, again, this is a film that you might have, if you are if you run with the festival circuit, it's screened at TIFF last summer, but it's out now. And I got the opportunity to see it at home and cover it for the magazine and interview the filmmaker. And I loved that interview. I love talking to Nisa Hardiman and I'm talking about Sea Fever. Nisa Hardiman is a another Irish filmmaker. She wrote and directed this film and her background is in, you know, she's worked on some pretty high profile cinematic TV. She worked on uh, Jessica Jones, among other things. And so I thought it was so interesting when I was interviewing her that she's like, I'm used to working with way more money and having way less creative control. And so Sea Fever is kind of, uh, it's her baby. It's very personal to her. It's very political to her. And those politics really
0: shine through in my view. You got to see that one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got a hold of um, a screener link really recently. Do you want to give a quick synopsis or? Yeah, so it's um about... Uh, biology student um, part of her course goes on uh, a fishing boat in just off the west coast of Ireland and the ship gets stuck by this kind of creature or this thing and it begins to infect the crew members so they have to kind of deal with quarantine issues they have to deal with infection they have to deal with each other they have to deal with just not knowing what the fuck is going on and it's a film that I really wish I'd seen on the big screen Mm. but it also felt very eerie. it was you know made at least over a year ago and it still presented so many of the issues we are grappling with right here right now yes
1: there's issues of quarantine of infection and containment but also a really strong eco-feminist streak and when i was talking to nisa hardiman she was saying you know this film premiered right about when a young woman on the spectrum was causing some big ass waves about the environment and so obviously i'm talking about greta turnberg and the protagonist in fever is a scientist and i've heard this film described as like the thing on a boat on the one hand i see what they're saying but on the other hand the thing was it's so masculine and we did a whole episode on the masculinity of the thing and about how you know the one who controls the flamethrower has the might whereas in sea fever you know we're really talking about listening to the scientist making decisions based on scientific ethics which was really interesting and i thought the creature was very unique
0: yeah it's um i would recommend seeing it it wasn't quite what I expected. Um, I sit on a kind of weird place with it, but I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad it exists. I'm excited that's coming out on VOD so that more people can see it. But yeah, it's, it's super fucking interesting and I think very prescient for right now. Mm-hmm. It went into the water. We're all vulnerable to get infected. I
1: can see.
0: I want you to test all of us. Those things will spread really fast. We need to quarantine ourselves now. We're making port tonight. But you don't understand. Uh, you not hear me! Uh,
1: so the next film on my list is, again, one that I saw for the new issue that I am actually running a feature on. It's called Sputnik, and it's a Russian horror film. How often do you get to say, check out this super cool Russian horror film? I think the last time I thought about Russian horror was when we screened V, for Cinema Cobb, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting, but it deals with old Russian folklore. Sputnik is obviously, if you're familiar with them, um, the space race. Sputnik pertains to the Russian, oh, is it a probe, a rocket, a, something like that? In the film Sputnik, a couple of astronauts return to Earth in the 80s with an extra passenger, so to speak, and I won't say much more than that, but the film takes place on a scientific compound where again, we've got a female scientist protagonist who is struggling to do the right thing, and scientific ethics come into play, where you know you have to contend with the rights of the infected as well as the safety of the rest of the world. And in this case, Russian eighties politics. It's a very interesting thing. So check that out in the next issue of Room and yeah, it's worth checking out, Alex, as soon as you get access to it. Should be out soon. Yeah.
0: МОЛОКО А Вы меня не знаете. Это вы себя знаете. Um, so I wound up also catching up on a film that I missed back in January, and I heard mixed things about it, so I was kind of curious, and it's the, uh, Kristen Stewart film Underwater. Ah, I haven't seen that yet. Eh, It's it's alright. I like her. I like her, too, and Vincent Cassell is in it, and I really like him. Yeah, you do. I know that about you. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Um, it's just a big, like, chase movie. Okay. Uh, again, it follows a similar line to Sea Fever in some ways, but, uh, the creature design is really amazing. I think it's one of those things things that, it, had I seen it on a big screen with a good audience, I would have had a much better feeling about it. Mm. Watching it at home, it was fine. Okay. It was fine. That's what I'm going to say about it. But I wouldn't necessarily rush out and say, like, go see it. Um, nor... Would I say that about another film that I watched that I'd heard quite a bit about from the festival circuit and mo- mainly good things. It's um kind of horror thriller called I See You. Oh, the Helen Hunt one. Yeah, the Helen Hunt one. And it- it's on Amazon Prime now. Oh, sick certainly here in Canada. So I watched it and I did not care for it. (laughs) It was a mix of my partner getting a text from his friend at the same time, who I think had also known something about the film. So I feel like by Danny showing me this text, it kind of ruined something. Okay. Like I was just not into it. I was like, Oh, the places it goes, it just, it didn't grab me, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if I'm in the minority. I know there's some people who really, really love it. So if you have Amazon, you got prime, you've got all that and it's doesn't, cost you anything like check it out do your thing but don't pay for it i wouldn't pay for it uh i've got one that i
1: wouldn't pay for oh i've got one where i'd like those hours of my life back oh hours and this is this is disappointing because i wanted to like this one there was some hype and then the hype kind of died down really uh, suddenly which is usually a clue and that's antlers ah uh, yes the trailer looked good and you know it's a good time for a wendigo horror film you know between blood quantum and you know it's a wendigo horror film it sucks. And I think what really, what pissed me off about it, this, it actually annoyed me, was um, there is a storyline involving a creature, a wendigo. That's not a spoiler. I think mm-hmm. that's pretty present in the in the trailer and the fact that it's called Antlers. That's what we're dealing with. However, this film involves the protagonist is played by Carrie Russell and it's her and her brother and her brother is um, the sheriff of this small town and she's from the town and she comes back to be with her brother due to a death of a relative. And there's all this un undisclosed trauma and abuse between them and that's fine but I really got the sense that the word trauma is just kind of slipped in to give really dull characters a sense of complexity and it it doesn't make sense. It doesn't go anywhere. These characters are completely one-dimensional and I feel like they just throw around the word abuse just to justify some really irrational behavior and I really took issue with that and uh yeah skip it.
0: Yeah. One that I I wouldn't skip, and it is, I think we've, Andrea, both seen it uh, separately um, before quarantine and everything, but I know it's now kind of available on VOD, which is Blood Quantum. Oh, yeah. And I don't think it's a perfect film. I think it's successful in many ways. It doesn't quite stick the landing for me, but it's an absolutely fascinating film. I think it's a really important film Mm -hmm. and it's really fun. Like, it's fun. It's well made. It just breezes by. Um, It's an indigenous zombie film. And the director, Jeff Barnaby, is a super cool guy, writer, director, editor, and composer of this film. And it's a film that is was due for a theatrical release, at least in Canada. It went straight to Shutter in the States, I believe, but it's kind of going to Shudder, I think, in Canada as well. And if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out because it's saying some, some real shit about a fucked up past, a real fucked up past. And mm-hmm. it's saying it in a really smart way, in a very entertaining way, mm-hmm. and I'm incredibly I'm incredibly glad this film exists and has some great performances, some incredible gore and some uh, just beautifully shot, really stunning look for a horror film. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely would recommend it. And the uh, feature in the new issue of The Room Morgue, or I guess it was the last issue, whatever it is, one of the, <laughs> the last issues of Room Morgue was super
1: fascinating. May, June with, yeah. uh, with Graham Humphreys on the cover, I got to interview Barnaby and what an interview he gave me. Oh, like, yeah. oh my God, he gave me not just a mouthful, he gave me a mindful, very conscientious filmmaker and he's like uh he had really interesting things to say about you know making a film within this colonial system he was like i can put whatever i want in it but i'm still playing this game and this game is rigged in a certain direction and it just fucking blew my mind it was amazing check that one out
0: definitely check it out Get bit. This planet we're on is so sick of us. Sh- That's why the dead keep coming back to life. Another one, which was um, I. I can't remember what it's called. I want to say Relic. It is Relic. Yeah, we saw that. It was stupid. My IFC Midnight rep is
1: a cool gal and she's rad and she was pushing it on me hard and she's like, this is going to be the next Hereditary. And you know, as editor of a magazine, whenever someone says it's going to be the next something, it's like, well, I don't really want the next something. I want the new something. And then we saw it and I can see what it's trying to do. I can see some of Hereditary's DNA. I can see a lot of Hereditary's flaws more so than its strengths reflected in Relic and furthermore I'm not entirely sure I got it no. it's not like with hereditary where you feel like there's almost too much to get your brain around I, I found it kind of scattershot, and and uh, it-, it maybe took on a little bit too much but I have been seeing rumblings within the horror community that it's gonna be a big thing so you'll be hearing about it sooner or later it didn't quite move me but uh, I don't know I wouldn't call it a waste of time I'm glad I didn't pay for it
0: yeah I'm glad I didn't pay- for it either. It's coming out. It'll be billed as the next hereditary to Andrea's point and it definitely hits a lot of the same kind of like bingo moments but it didn't It didn't reach me. I think it might be one of those things like I think if it reaches you it could be a very personal connection but it didn't land that with me. No. What else have you got? Uh Dreamland. Ah uh, yeah I got that too because we watched it kind of together. We
1: watched it kind of together. No, Dreamland, I was told, to be fair, I was told this years ago. I was told <laughs> that the powerhouse duo the dream team behind the cinematic triumph that is Pontypool which is to say director Bruce McDonald and writer Tony Burgess are coming back together for a new film and this film I don't want to pin this on as if somebody deceived me or misled me but somehow I had the conception that they were working on a film that was going to be kind of a spiritual sequel to Pontypool in that it took place in the world of the epilogue of Pontypool and if you've listened to our Pontypool episode if If you've seen the film, you know that, you know, after this great climactic countdown, all of a sudden they're steeped in black and white. They're speaking this weird lingo. It's this weird dreamlike logic. The film is called Dreamland. And, you know, I'm pretty sure they said something about, you know, I'll be a hitman and you'll be working in a cabaret or something like that. And that's the case. But that's pretty much the extent to which Dreamland has anything at all to do with Pontypool. I am so sorry to say. By the time Dreamland did come out, it wasn't being billed as a sequel to Pontypool and no connective tissue was being mentioned but I couldn't help but hope (laughs) that some of that glory was in there but I mean it wasn't bad it's its own beast so don't go in expecting Pontypool and then you won't be disappointed
0: yeah I kind of went in with a very open mind because that ending moment in Pontypool which again is, is my oh god this is controversial but I think I've said it before is my favorite zombie movie oh shit okay and I think one of the great things that Canada has ever done So it's, you know, I went in kind of very cautious to dreamland and it's like, it's a hard adjacent to horror, but I was absolutely impressed with the mixture of absolute strangeness within that film and a kind of maturity about aging, about loss, about grief, about retribution that the film like really fucking tackles. And, uh, Stephen McAddy who plays Grant Mazzy and Pontypool is a kind of double lead in Dreamland, uh-huh. and he is fantastic. Uh-huh. He is fantastic. Uh, Lisa Hooley, who plays uh, the the radio producer in Pontypool, she's also back. And then, of course, you got Henry Rollins, you've got Juliette Lewis. It is an absolutely fascinating film. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it, but it's absolutely fascinating. If you're in for like a weird kind of trippy, it's going to take you on a weird path. But I always found it consistently engaging. I cared about everything that was happening. Then go track it down because it is coming out soon. And um, I really think in, in many ways it's it's quite a triumph. It's not a pool sequel. We're not getting it. No. But it's so great. I thought it was wonderful. It has a Silliness, it has an absurdity
1: to it, but everyone plays it really straight, and so, which makes it kind of fun.
0: Yeah. If you liked Pontypool, like to love Pontypool, it's absolutely worth your time. Mm -hmm. Check it out, seek it out, go with it, go on that weird journey because it is a journey, (laughs) and I'm absolutely not angry at it at all that I went on it, and I think it's really cool. It's a dream. It's a dream, and it's very cool, but it's not like it's not, not grounded in something. I agree. And that's what I appreciated about it. Yeah. I need a shower. He wants a shower. And a gun. He wants a shower and a gun.
1: All right, I had one more on my list, and again. <gasps> I had one more on my Bloody list. fucking die. I bet it's not this one. This is another one that uh, I saw for the magazine. This is another one that is being heavily marketed to me for coverage. It's called The Rental. And this was written and directed by one Dave Franco. Oh. You know, this is the faculty of horror where I can kind of divulge more biases than maybe I like to admit when it comes to my professional editorial career. I always get a little bit bristly when, you know, the brother of an established and problematic movie star gets a feature, I always kind of wonder how many people are going to continue to wait in line their whole fucking lives and not get the opportunity that a Franco might to make his weird little passion project. And that is an unfair thing to levy against a film, but I'm going to be real guys. That's how it felt. Now the film itself is not terrible. It concerns two couples who kind of go to a cottage getaway. Uh, They have a rental. It's like an Airbnb. They encounter the fellow who's, renting it out to them has uh, has certain right wing white guy biases um, that causes a little bit of friction and this group gets up to some bad shit and uh, they're kind of blackmailed by we're not sure who and um, I thought the script was good I thought the players were really good that guy fuck I can't remember his name but he was in The Guest that super hot blonde guy mm. oh my yeah. god he is just a snack the movie's worth watching just to look at him alone it ended on a note that again I was just kind of like, like, what? But again, I feel like it's setting up for a sequel, and because mm-hmm. of course it's going to be a sequel, because it's a fucking Franco, and I, you know, I'm not going to shine a spotlight on it just because it's a Franco. I'm not.
0: No. Um, yeah, so the last film that I've got on my list is Swallow. Oh, okay. I had seen it too early to include. I'm the editor of a magazine. i see seen movies too early. <laughs> no, this is out on VOD, and to be fair, um, Andrea did really clue me into this one, and saying like, it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I rented it and it was really good. Really, really good. I think it uses a lot of horror tropes to tell a drama. Um, I would say it's maybe horror adjacent, but it actually winds up being a much more complicated kind of character study Mm -hmm. um, of intergenerational trauma and pain and how you process things. And I thought it was incredibly well done. It really felt authentic and real, but also subversive and very, um, dreamlike, very much like Ira Levin, mm-hmm. the author of, uh, Rosemary's Baby and the Stepford Wives, but just in, you know, in the new millennium. And yeah, I just thought it was so well done. And again, it's a very big conceit to kind of carry off for, you know, 90 odd minutes. And I thought it did that. It went different places. It told an interesting story with interesting characters and I truly, truly enjoyed it. And I'm still thinking about it. So highly recommend that. Well,
1: that conceit for our listeners, if you haven't heard of this film, is, um it's about a woman with a compulsion to swallow objects and uh, I reviewed it for Ru Morgan I looked up the term piff or puff or something like that uh, it's something something philia there's a very technical term because this is a DSM recorded mm-hmm. symptom of mental illness and it's a control issue it's kind of an eating disorder I guess but uh, it's about a woman who swallows inanimate objects to gain a semblance of control over her life and that situation escalates and as it escalates she gets less and less control mm-hmm. of her Lives. It's just like pouring gasoline on a fire for this whole movie. But it has a very satisfying and sensitive mm-hmm. resolution. Um, the performances are amazing. And yeah, I yeah, love that film. It was really good. How does it make you feel when you swallow something?
0: I just like the textures in my mouth. I made me mean, feel. I get your control. get All right. So I finally started What We Do in the Shadows, the TV series, which I'm really enjoying. Ooh, where are you at in it? I'm like a couple episodes in. Okay, okay. I'm really enjoying it and it's super fun. So I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, that's the new releases I've been watching. Is that all you've been watching for new releases, Andrea? That's the new stuff, yeah. So if you guys are looking for something new to watch, something you maybe haven't seen or something that's coming out, I think we gave you a kind of a variety of things that we'll list again all in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you want more, if you want to hear more, of what we're watching, older films, rewatches, crafts, puzzles, then you're going to want to kind of follow us over on our Patreon uh, where we will be releasing the second half of this episode at the $2 level. So you can come join us over there. But if not, I think this is lots of stuff to get you started on some fun content, some really fun content, yeah. some great stuff coming out. Some stuff to keep you sane because it's important.
1: Self care is more important than ever. You know, we always advocate, you know, doing what makes you feel good and, uh, and taking care of yourself and that has gone from nice advice to absolutely critical survival advice. So, uh, so hang in there, everyone. Thanks as always to the first responders working so hard and, uh, hope to see you out on
0: the other end of this soon. And until next time, office hours are closed. is rising it seems that all that was good has died oh no the world is a scary place
1: now that you've woken up the demon in me
0: Bobby will you give it to me
1: Two, three, four. Oh my. <laughs> get up come on get
0: down with the sickness you must